From NFL linebacker to managing a billion-dollar portfolio. Today's guest, Yannick Cujo Virgil, has perfected the art of due diligence through trial and error and is on today to help you avoid some of the mistakes he's made in the past. Listen about his investment journey, his transition out of the NFL, and about how he lost big on his first deal so you can avoid the same mistakes he did. This is Building Passive Income and Wealth Through Real Estate, where we guide you through the relentless pursuit of financial independence. I'm your host, Justin Moy, managing partner at Perpetual Wealth Capital, a multifamily real estate investing firm that lets everyday people invest passively in income-producing apartment buildings. Hey, investors. Welcome back to another episode of Building Passive Income and Wealth Through Real Estate. Today, I am sitting down with Yannick Cujo Virgil. Now, Yannick is a retired NFL linebacker for the Tennessee Titans, now a real estate investor and syndicator with Maryland Acquisitions. Now, unlike a lot of professional athletes that struggle to find post-athletic careers, Yannick successfully transitioned into the asset management space for both institutional and private equity firms operating portfolios worth over a billion dollars, while also being the lead sponsor in his own multifamily syndications. Yannick, we're really excited to have you here. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Justin. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. I mean, your story is great. So before we were talking a little bit about you and your past and transitioning life from being a pro athlete, which is notoriously difficult, you constantly hear stories. I mean, Shaq is a huge advocate for like, hey, don't be dumb with your money. Don't be dumb when you come out of this journey because it's short-lived for a lot of people. Tell us a little bit about that. Give us a little bit of a behind the scenes of somebody coming out of the NFL and did you know you wanted to get into real estate investments where you kind of lost to start off with? Tell us how that worked. So I was fortunate to play in the NFL. I played linebacker for the Tennessee Titans, went to school at the University of Maryland. I did absolutely nothing in real estate. But the reason that I got into real estate was the fact that I really didn't want to lose all my money from the NFL, to be honest. And a lot of your listeners may have heard the statistic 78% of NFL players go broke within two to three years after leaving the game. And so unfortunately, what happened in my situation was I had a career ending knee injury my rookie year in the NFL. And that completely shattered me. I was at a low point in my life. But fortunately, I picked up the book, which I'm sure you've likely read, called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that book absolutely transformed the way that I thought about money. And so from just reading that book and just digging in, reading that book while doing rehab while I was still in Tennessee, sparked a thought. And here I am today in real estate. It's hard to accomplish what you did operating portfolio over a billion dollars and being the asset manager for that. I mean, that's a huge role to have. So what was square one for you in your real estate journey? So square one for me, really, to be honest, Justin, was education. A lot of people may think of real estate as something super difficult. You have to go to business school. Like I said, I went to school for kinesiology. This was nothing to do with real estate. I thought that I was going to play in the NFL for 10 years, retire, open up a gym, and just sail off into the sunset. But in real estate, it's really something where as long as you have the drive, as long as you have the work ethic, as long as you have ways of getting education any way possible, you can really be successful in real estate. So for me, 
my first foundation was education. And then from there, what I did was just started networking, networking, more education, some more networking. And so I started off in the brokerage space in commercial real estate for KW Commercial, which is a division of commercial real estate for Keller Williams. And from there, worked my way up into asset management, working for retail, asset management, anywhere from multifamily, mixed use, office, residential, the whole nine. From there, moved into another firm called Walker and Dunlop. From there, moved into another firm, more focused in the institutional private equity space. And it's been a truly tremendous journey for me, just learning and learning and learning, which I've fortunately been able to take that education and apply it into my own deals. Yeah. And so now you run Maryland Acquisitions. What do you do there? Are you still the asset manager? Do you run due diligence? Do you underwrite properties? What's your role currently? So currently we're syndicating multifamily deals. For me, what I focused on is more so the construction aspect of our projects. And again, I've leveraged from working for institutional firms, private equity firms, a lot of the education from smaller development projects, larger development projects, and also some smaller fix and flip projects that I've done in the past as well. You know, that has really allowed me to take some of that knowledge and apply it in the multifamily space, value add projects. It's all the same. It's just a bigger play. And so, yeah, that has allowed me to really use my talents in that space. So you had said kind of on the construction side, are you guys doing new developments or as is buildings? And do you guys have a market that you like to work in or do you go nationwide? Tell us what type of assets you like to buy. Right now, we're primarily focused in the Baltimore market. We primarily focus on existing product, nothing development at this point of time, typical value-add projects. So tell us about running those value-add, because you have such a diverse experience with the asset management side. What has that experience maybe taught you about other aspects of this business? One of the things that I'm a big proponent of is that if you're doing something multiple times it would behoove you to actually systematize that particular process. And what I've learned in the asset management space or really working for other principals who are way smarter and way more accomplished than I am, is just learning a lot of the tips and tricks and pitfalls that they have experienced and try not to make the same mistakes within my business. And so what I've developed is a system to how I approach due diligence from a financial side, from the physical side, Every time that we look at an asset or when we're actually doing due diligence, we have a specific checklist that we use. And so what that allows us to do is that allows us to make sure that we're not leaving any stone unturned. Tell us a little bit more about that because anybody who knows me knows I'm a freak for systems and processes. So due diligence, you're looking at a property, you're in contract, and now it's time to really audit their books and really go through physical inspections. Walk us through... I guess, your system that you perfected over your enormous experience in all these facets of the business. Absolutely. So in due diligence, like I mentioned, there are two different phases. There's the physical side of things where you want to spend the least amount of money possible. Due diligence is something where it's non-refundable. Those inspection fees per unit, those costs are non-refundable. Everything physical is non-refundable. So The financial side of due diligence, the first, let's say within 15, 14 days or so, you're going through a lot pertaining to the rent rolls, the T12s, everything financial that has to do with the project, which ultimately is likely one of the most important aspects of due diligence because commercial real estate 
trades off of a multiple of income. Yep. The more income generated from the property, the more it's worth. So if there's something going on in the T12 that we cannot understand or break down automatically. And so finding a way to have a checklist that allows you to check off the boxes, making sure that you're making the right decisions when you're looking at assets is really important for your own capital, but also for your investors' capital as well. What are some things you're looking at in that phase? I know you're close to your market, but some people don't buy in the market. So there's the additional cost when they start physical inspections. So a lot of people should be really, really careful in that first stage where you're doing the financials and you have some time to really gather. And it's free. Like you said, you don't have to spend money to do it. So what are some things that you're looking for? You said you start off with the T12 and the rent roll, and those are going to be the major ones. What are some things that would be red flags for you? Absolutely. So the main thing when you're looking at the T12 is inconsistencies in income or expenses. So a lot of times, particularly with mom and pop operators, they may have wacky expenses, right? And it's your job to really paint a picture and pick apart exactly what you think the property would actually perform like when you actually acquire it. And so what I'm looking for is inconsistencies in income between the controllable expenses or the non-controllable expenses like taxes. And taxes is actually probably one of the most easiest things that you can verify, right? You just call the state assessor, the local tax assessor, right? So we're looking for inconsistencies in income. We break it down from the T12. We look at the T6, you know, take that T3 and we try to normalize a lot of that income or expenses. And our job is to create a story, right? We want to tell our investors how we think the property is going to operate. And our job is to really go in like we're paranoid, quite frankly. (laughs) Yeah. And it's really that thing that attention to detail is so important and not a lot of people have that skill and it's totally, totally fine. Um, And I encourage you to find out what your skills are and then, you know, lean into those and avoid the ones that you're bad at. And so looking for those inconsistencies is really big, especially in a place like Baltimore, right? Where maybe if you take the T3 in a season where there's no snow removal or there's different contract services, it's going to be a little bit of a different story. So really looking for those inconsistencies. And then what about the rent roll? Is it kind of the same process you're using there? Are you looking for different things or what other types of things are you looking for? Same things, the rent rolls, you really want to match the rent roll to the leases as well. Cause a lot of times things change or you want to make sure that what's in this rent roll is what's in the lease. And sometimes like again, smaller operators, mom and pops, they may send out renewals, but they may not actually reflect the time that they sent out the renewal on the rent roll. So things can kind of look a little strange when you're taking a look at older leases and you really have to find a way to put a picture together. In the, the last acquisition we had, it was a distressed asset, single owner. And I don't know if they're going to listen to this episode, but the property manager yard was terrible. And so when we actually did our lease audit, we had discovered that in most leases, they were actually never even signed by anybody. And in some leases, they even still had the template in there. It said name in big brackets instead of the tenant's name, right? It said price where the price was supposed to be. And so it was a really shady operation. It was kind of unusual. But again, with those mom and pop shops, you will get those sometimes. We've had people tell us, well, I collect my rent payments through Venmo. And so I don't have bank statements. So a lot of these things that you're going to discover as you continue due diligence throughout other properties and different owners, you're looking for those trends and you're looking for things that don't add up then you're just asking questions about them. Why don't these add up? And if there's a good story, then that's fine. If there's not, maybe you want to dig into that a little bit more. Is that pretty much wrap up kind of the financial aspect of it? Or what other things are you looking at? Are you verifying bank statements? Are you looking at insurance loss runs? What other things are important to you before physical inspections? Yeah, absolutely. All of the things that you mentioned are really good points. 
asking for bank statements is something that a lot of investors, I think, might be hesitant to ask. But really, you're purchasing multi-million dollar assets. You're bringing investors' capital into your deal. So you have to be a fiduciary to those investors and making sure that you did every single thing possible to make sure that their investment is protected. So we're looking at all of that stuff. We're looking at bank statements. We're matching that to the income statement that they're sending us. Loss runs are another important one as well, because you want to make sure that you're not going to have any hiccups when you're going to find any insurance out there on your property. And one of the things that is important too, especially with some of the listeners that may be looking at C-class assets is figuring out how great is your insurance structured when it comes to those properties. So one of the things that we look for in C-class assets with our insurance provider is building coverage. And what that basically is, is that it talks more so specifically around the code. So for example, if you own an older building and you don't have building code coverage in your property and the property catches on fire, that insurance provider may not pay the claims that the city might ask you to bring that property back up to code. But the fact that you have the actual building code insurance in your policies, that's actually going to protect you if that were to occur. Yeah. Insurance is such a tricky topic for a lot of investors because you can almost insure anything and anything that can be insured, the big companies have found a way to charge you to insure it. And so things like building codes and different business losses you can have. And so you said specifically for C-class properties, that's important to you because of the age of the building, right? Or does it have to do with the tenants in there or anything like that? Mostly the age? Yes, the age. Okay. So let's say a property passes all of those checks. Looks good. You're happy with the story and the financial side of things. And now you're going on site. Tell us about that physical walkthrough. Do you walk every single unit, no matter how big the property is? Do you bring an inspector? Are you looking for certain things in the plumbing or the mechanics of the building? Tell us about that walkthrough process. Absolutely. So I mentioned anything that we're doing multiple times, we're creating a system for it. And so we're going in with a checklist for every single unit. You know, We're looking at it because that's going to help you actually put together your renovation budget. Sometimes in underwriting, you may think one thing, the seller may say, you know, these units are beautiful, but you go in there and it's trashed. And so protecting yourself using that system allows you to really make sure that you're looking at all the things that you need to either replace or repair going into the property, just to make sure that your tenants at least have a decent place to live, but also allowing you to tighten up your budget, especially in today's world where we have construction costs and things like cabinetry that are way behind schedule. And it's tough to kind of gauge prices these days. Mm -hmm. So all of these things are extremely important. Yeah. So give us a sneak peek about that checklist. I assume there's things on the outside that you're looking for, right? And then maybe if you're in the units, you probably want to see like, hey, the water heaters or the HVACs. Tell us a little bit more about what specifically you're looking for when you're going through these. Yep. So we start inside of the property, walking through the units, walking through the kitchens, making sure that there aren't any plumbing issues, looking under the sink to figure out, you know, hey, is this cast iron behind the walls? You know, is it cast iron? And then PVC, some owners try to hide it a little bit. This cast iron over time, you know, things get rough for you. We look at the HVAC, making sure that the HVAC is done correctly, installed correctly. So everything on the inside takes a little bit longer because you're walking every single unit. But then you go to the outside and it's the roof inspections and making sure that the roof is done correctly and there aren't any leaks in the roof. And sewer lines, as you said, is extremely important because having to deal with a sewer line issue is not 
cheap by any means. So we're hiring our sewer contractor to go in there and scope those sewer lines, give us an idea of how the sewage is flowing. One of the things in our particular state is that the actual sewer line that connects to the city, a lot of times is not covered by the insurance, the actual insurance. So we have to go out and actually get a third party insurance called HomeServe that allows us to cover the sewage line that extends from the city's connection to the property. Anything that can be insured, they figured it out and there's someone exactly. that's small to you. <laughs> exactly. So those things are truly important when putting together your rehab budget as well, because those costs, like I mentioned, are not cheap at all. So having those numbers up front allows you to really fine tune your underwriting. And we talked about the financial due diligence as well and underwriting and just fine tuning it and adding those costs into the underwriting to make sure that you've got all your bases covered. Yeah. I like what you said about essentially checking underneath all the sinks in the property as well, especially in multi-level properties. And if you're on the bottom, you definitely want to make sure you look up and see if you can see any kind of leaking from, you know, hey, the bathrooms are right here. Let me see if the toilet above is leaking. Don't be afraid to literally physically poke around and see if you could find soft spots or see what's going on because those things are enormous. And it sounds like a huge pain because it is. It's the day of many squats when you have to look underneath 200 unit sinks and toilets. Yeah. It's definitely worth it. And we have found things that we've needed to go and reevaluate our valuation for properties of it. So it can really save you an enormous amount. So have you learned all of these things pretty recently? I mean, tell us about your first deal, which talking to you before, I mean, it sounds like it was a little bit rocky. So my first ever real estate deal was a fix and flip deal. And this was around the time where I was trying to learn about commercial real estate, fighting my way up and due diligence. Again, you know, we're on the topic of due diligence is extremely important, not only for the property level, but also the partnership level as well. And I think a lot of times people oversee the importance of making sure that you're partnering up with someone who has your best interest, but not only yours, but the teams as well, right? Because partnerships are easy to get into and hard to get out of, especially in real estate where it's a liquid. And so one of the biggest mistakes that I did when I first got into real estate was not fully vet out one of my partners, which was also my mentor, unfortunately. And so I paid him to lose $10,000, Justin. (laughs) And it was the biggest mistake, but also the biggest lesson of my real estate career, because due diligence is something that I do not skimp today. Well, how did you lose the money? So you paid the guy, which is a loss. Right. Right. And then the deal, in addition to that loss, $10,000, you're saying on the flip. Yes. Well, well, time kills deals, right? Yeah. And so it was a fix and flip project. It was supposed to be a six month to eight month in and out project. It ended up taking 18 months. Holding costs started to add up. The hard money lender started to add some more fees to extend the loan. And so the market shifted as well. We had cracks in the foundation. And again, I didn't do my due diligence on him. He had a little bit too much to chew on. And fortunately, I was able to get most of my money in, but a loss is a loss. Yeah. Was there anything specific that you said, God, if I would have just gone back and did this one thing different for that first deal, maybe I would have saved that money. I would have broken even. Or was it like a lot of little things that added up to a loss? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a lot of little things adding up to a loss. And I think for me, I was so excited to do my first deal. And I was so excited to get in real estate. You finally found a deal. You feel like you're partnering up with someone who has your best interest. But a lot of the small things from me not going out to the property, 
me not verifying the construction budget, me not getting references, figuring out who has he worked with in the past. All of the small things turn into something bigger. And I think, you know, in this business, particularly in real estate, when we're dealing with larger commercial transactions, is that the small things, the devil is in the details, like they say. And so if you really take a look at that, you will find the devil in the details. Yeah. I really like what you have to say because again, due diligence is so important, but there's not many people who talk about it. It's just not that sexy. It's not like finding your first deal, right? There's a ton of mentors who will help you find your first deal for money or maybe for free if they want a piece of the deal. That part is, yes, it's very difficult, but it's almost easier because there's so much help. There's so many people who want to help you do that. Due diligence is so, so tough. This has been awesome and really been eye-opening, especially for those who are maybe more rookies in the due diligence field, hoping that they learn something and learn a little bit about what they need to be doing and how you can systematize your due diligence process and then continue to refine it over time. Yannick, this has been fantastic. How can listeners get a hold of you and who should reach out to you? Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on the podcast. Any way that anyone can reach out to me, I'd love to help people get started in real estate. I'd love to help people avoid some of the pitfalls that I've faced. Feel free to go to my website. It's MerlinAcquisitions.com. On our website, what I've done is I've put together a due diligence checklist, the same checklist that I'm referencing on this podcast today. Any way that I can help someone avoid some of the pitfalls and headaches that I've had in my real estate journey, I'm happy. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. So this is, we're going to put links there in the show notes. And while you're there, of course, if you haven't already, make sure you download our free ebook along with Yannick's free due diligence guide, the definitive guide to building generational wealth and passive cash flow through multifamily real estate. So all those links will be in the show notes. Yannick, thank you so much for coming on and listeners. Thank you so much for spending a few minutes of your day with us. Thank you. I appreciate it, Justin.